Not drinking tonight. Isn't Becky drinking tonight? Not drinking tonight. Oh, not drinking tonight. Oh, joking. She's not drinking tonight. Yeah, right. Pardon? Who? Happy whatever day of the week it is you're listening to this podcast and welcome to the last episode of season one of Becky's Not Drinking Tonight in Russia. Oh man, where to start with this one? Well, I suppose perhaps the usual disclaimer, this episode will contain explicit language and content and is not for the faint-hearted. It will involve a lot of tabletop dancing, girl fights and, well, the last few moments of my life. Well, my old life, that is, and what could have been the very end of my entire life. But thankfully, it wasn't. And with that said, I suppose we should just dive right in. Have you ever been somewhere and thought to yourself, this is it? This is where I belong. And even though you can't rationally explain it or justify your feelings to anyone around you, that feeling of belonging and home just seems to stick with you long after you have left. Well, that place for me was Russia. I'd wanted to go to Russia since I watched Anastasia as a little girl. I love the story. A long-lost Russian princess with red hair grows up an orphan thinking she is worthless and useless, but then she sets out on this whirlwind adventure to discover herself and finds out she is, in fact, the last daughter of the Russian monarchy. Of course, it's a highly fictionalized fairy tale, but watching this movie as a child in a situation where I dreamed constantly that somehow my current predicament wasn't real or wasn't forever meant that I lost myself in it. I watched it every time I had the chance and even introduced it to my little sister and we promised each other we'd go to Paris together one day, which, you know, may now not be possible for a long time, thanks to lovely COVID. I think some part of me decided that day that I would travel a world like Anastasia and discover myself and, you know, if I somehow managed to be a long lost princess, that was also cool. Fast forward a few years, and while studying law part-time, working full-time and drinking more than breathing, I hired a Russian tutor because I wanted to learn Russian. I had decided that I wanted to work in the Australian embassy in Russia, and that would mean I could use my law degree and also live in this magical land of snow and vodka. My Russian tutor was confused why a young woman in her late teens would suddenly decide to learn Russian, given it's a freaking hard language to learn and isn't really practical in everyday Australian life. She continued to tutor me for a few weeks and I bought a few books to help me with my learning and successfully taught myself the entire Cyrillic alphabet and a few handy words here and there. I was never proficient, but I could have a very simple conversation in Russian if I needed to. Of course, I deferred my law degree a few years later and never picked it up again. But it just so happened that in 2014, I met someone who I considered a soulmate or soul sister, if you will. See, I was doing a course for work in Brisbane and I met an incredibly stylish, smart and sassy woman who I immediately clicked with. By the second day, we were already planning our next catch-ups, regardless of the fact that she lived in Melbourne and I lived in Mackay, which is, you know, about 3,000 kilometres apart, give or take. One night in particular, we decided to have a party at some of the guys' apartments we worked with. See, we were given work accommodation during this course. And she had brought a bottle of Stolichnaya vodka, which I drank straight, because Russians don't believe in mixing vodka. It's straight or not at all. At least that's what she told me. I don't remember that night, but I know I embarrassed myself in front of most of my new colleagues by dancing on tabletops and being the loud and obnoxious drunk I usually am. She didn't judge me though. She said it was hilarious 
And so I felt like it was all okay and that I had made a new best friend. She would tell me that I was a Russian through and through, at least when it came to my drinking. She did end up meeting a few of my friends that still lived in Brisbane during the two weeks we were stationed there. And I found myself feeling like I had genuinely known her my whole life. Fast forward to 2015 and our move to Melbourne. I had told my boyfriend that I had a friend down there, the Russian, and that I was so excited to catch up with her. I remember our first catch-up clearly, well, up until the point, which is odd considering we consumed three bottles of red over a three-hour period. Her apartment was hers and hers alone, and full of Parisian-themed decor and expensive gowns and frocks from the best designers. She had real fur shawls and photos scattered around of her modelling days and her various adventures to every corner of the earth. I just remember thinking that this woman was my idol. She was so extravagant, so well-travelled and so classy. I needed to be her friend. And from that point on, we were regularly getting wasted over dinner, dancing until our legs were about to fall off, and sitting in the most prestigious bars in Melbourne laughing until the lights came on. This was the glamour that Melbourne promised me, and the copious amounts of alcohol I consumed were never an issue when I was with her. If anything, we encouraged each other, and it was fine. I should have probably realised something was off when I was fighting with my boyfriend, more often after spending time with her, was smoking on a weekly basis and I had never really smoked before, and found no issue with being broke trying to keep up with her lifestyle. Now look, I'm going to be the first to say I don't think she was a bad person, or if she was, then I was too. Her lifestyle and her choices seem very superficial to me today, but they were intoxicatingly enchanted back when we spent time together. I'm not here to paint her in a bad light or suggest that what happened years later was anything more than my mental health and alcohol consumption finally fighting a battle to the death. But I think it's important to illustrate the other femme fatale in this story. One thing that I find consistent with people that are no longer in my life is that when I finally realized how draining that relationship was on my well-being and mental health, when I finally asked for a bit of a breather or perhaps for a bit of assistance, they are nowhere to be found. In fact, these relationships of which I think I've had about four were always about the other person. They were always focused on their well-being, their life, their troubles and their celebrations and achievements. Yet when our friendship required the tables to be turned for a little bit of attention to be put on me, that other person was nowhere to be found. And for some reason, I always thought it was okay or that I was in the wrong. I would make excuses for these people. Perhaps it's because of my mother, but I'm a sucker for always being the sidekick, even in my own life. When sometimes I just need to tell Batman that Robin needed a bit of attention too. This is relevant because over the years of knowing this woman, not once did she attend a birthday party of mine or any party of mine actually, or any celebration, apart from our engagement party. Even then I had to change the date to suit her schedule because the original date clashed with her plans. Point is, when I was having my really low lows, in particular my birthdays, which were always hard for me to get through, she'd bail at the last minute. She actually did attend my 25th plus one birthday, uh, my 26th, but I didn't want to call it that because that would be admitting I was more than halfway through my 20s. But I can't help but feel that was because I literally paid for people to attend. I paid for the drinks and the food and the venue hire, and only then did certain people attend. That should have been a wake-up call, but anyway... Not long after I moved to Melbourne, my friend invited my now husband and I to a lavish Russian banquet, which was easily an hour and a half drive from our place, over the complete opposite side of Melbourne. We had to pay something like $150 each, thinking this covered the meals and the alcohol. But the alcohol was BYO, so we turned up with nothing in hand. Everyone at our table was Russian, and my partner and I were the only two people who only spoke English, and for myself, a very broken basic version of Russian. The food... Where do I begin with the food? 
it was mainly indistinguishable pasty meat pate type dishes along with a bunch of jellyfied unidentified dishes it was all served cold as well which didn't make sense to me because you'd think in russia everything would need to be hot but apparently not the funniest part of the evening's events at least for me was noticing that our dinner was accompanied by a wine glass a champagne flute a beer stein and of course a shot glass. We didn't need to worry about having not brought any alcohol to the event either, as our Russian comrades brought more Grey Goose than a bottle and plenty of red wine to accompany. I would say by the time we got to our cold fish mains, if that's what they were, we had done about four shots each. To refuse to shoot vodka was disrespectful, so good old me forever giving into peer pressure and trying to make others happy, happily guzzled down shot after shot with no complaints, and I lavished in the constant compliments that I was more Russian than I was Australian. You can probably imagine how this night ended. Well, if you can't, then let me tell you. I ended up with an Uber cleaning fee because I vomited all over the Uber ruined my brand new white dress from red wine moment and spent the next two or three days nursing one of those late 20 hangovers that take a week to recover from. But the question is, did I have a good time? Of course I did. Would I do it again? Hell yes. And do I have any regrets? No. <laughs> Soon after we moved to Melbourne, my friend met her now second husband. All of a sudden, she changed, and for the worse. He came from a cultural background where the women are expected to stay at home and only work if it is in the husband's business. So my friend packed up her lavish single lifestyle to move to a suburb an hour from her previous waterside apartment and suddenly was thrust into a world where she didn't speak the language and was overwhelmed with traditions and lifestyles that seemed pretty archaic. It wasn't long before the lies started coming out and it always seemed like somehow I was around when they decided to have a big domestic fight. Firstly, well, Actually, we still don't know how old this guy was. It ranged and varied depending on who you spoke to or what documents you looked at. When my friend found his birth certificate from his home country, the age that was listed was about 10 years older than what he had told her. That night, she screamed and yelled and threw whatever she could find at him, all while I was present, because she had told me she needed a night out. After she drank almost half a bottle of vodka, she decided we needed to leave. And while I couldn't drive because I had been drinking, she decided she could drive and drove her partner's Mercedes SLK out to the city. I remember messaging my boyfriend and telling him if I died, I loved him because I was at least sober enough to realize this risk-taking behavior was not okay. Then there was the time she found out he had three daughters, one of which was only a few years younger than her. He had explained that he didn't want to lose her and that he had nothing to do with them apart from paying child support for the youngest who was still under 18. Call me crazy, but someone who continually lied and held truths from me is not someone I would want to marry. But lo and behold, only a few months into their relationship, he proposed and she said yes. And I was asked to be maid of honor at their Russian wedding because... They didn't want to get married in Australia as it would require at least a thousand guests due to his culture and he also didn't want his family to know they were getting married. I still don't know why but anyway. Before the wedding I'd become really depressed again as it was during this time the sexual assault happened and I just lost all contact with one of my younger brothers. I knew he was homeless and really mentally unwell but I had no way of knowing if he was alive or dead. I confided in my friend that I had started cutting again and that I genuinely wanted to die. Her response was, that's okay. She had stopped eating. She always thought about hurting herself and she herself was severely depressed. 
So, like always, everything became about her problems and how I could help her. See, she had been trying to get pregnant with her fiancé and had been failing. I mean, it could have been that he was only a few years younger than my dad or that he loved steroids and even offered some to my husband a couple of times or that he smoked like a chimney. But none of these things made sense to my friend. She felt like this was divine punishment and nothing I could say or do seemed to ease her worries. So, like me, she'd drink to cope. When we finally got to Russia in March of 2018, I have to say I was already exhausted. See, I, being the type A personality I am, made spreadsheets and organized our visas and currency and created a beautiful A4 folder full of tabs, including helpful phrases, train and plane passes, accommodation, and itineraries full of back-to-back sightseeing adventures. Being me, I felt underappreciated and decided to drink to drown my sorrows. We had also brought along a friend who knew our Russian friend, but was only really an acquaintance at best with her. I thought this would be fine, that travelling predominantly with my now fiancé and one of my friends would not get awkward or weird at all. Lol, how wrong was I? I wouldn't say I'm a jealous person, but well, I suppose I can be. And my friend is just one of those people who genuinely gets along with everyone and has more male friends than female friends, because she doesn't like the drama, which I totally understand. One of the first nights in Moscow, we decided to go out drinking. I remember we found this little mall in the center of Moscow and found ourselves eating and drinking at a cute American retro-themed cafe. It was my friend's 30th birthday, and while she had originally wanted to plan a big celebration with her Russian family, she decided it was in poor taste given the shopping center fire in Kemerovo had only just happened weeks before. So instead, we spent our entire day and night drinking in the city. I can't remember how much I drank, but it was enough to see me dancing on the top of a bar aptly called Coyote Ugly and spending over $80 Australian in a taxi ride home after passing out on the sidewalk. At some point during the night, I had a fight with my friend, telling her she was a bad friend because she'd rather smoke shisha with her fiancé than get wasted and dance on the bar with me. It was a pretty big fight and required a lot of apologising on my behalf the next day. I don't think she ever forgave me more that she needed to at least pretend she was okay because I was her maid of honor in only a few days. In the days between, my fiancé and my other friend and myself had a fully booked itinerary going from town to town as we made our way up to St. Petersburg. We experienced real Russian life in the not-so-touristy areas, walked through knee-deep snow as we traversed a town in one day going to at least 30 different ornate churches, and of course, drank as much as we ate. The problem was, I became a little jealous, because my fiancé felt like spending more time with our mutual friend watching sport and drinking beers, rather than spending time with me sulking in a corner. So, I took this personally. I was all of a sudden making our friend my number one enemy and being a rude bitch because that's what I do best. At the time, the only person I felt I could talk to was my Russian friend. So I expressed how lonely I felt, how I felt like the third wheel in my own relationship, and that this was not how I intended the trip to go. When the day of the wedding finally rolled around, it was nerve-wracking to say the least. We stayed up quite late the night before, making the favours to give the guests while also trying to de-stress the bride. The morning of the wedding, of course, was chaotic, but we had bottles of Verve Clicquot to calm those nerves. The wedding went off without a hitch, albeit it was one of the strangest weddings I've been to and felt more like a game show. As each person walked down the aisle, a snippet of a different song was played. For instance, I walked down the very short aisle to a snippet of I'll Be There For You, the Friends theme song, which is a show I've never actually liked or understood, so that selection was bizarre. The groom then walked down the aisle to Eye of the Tiger? And there were several other just as corny songs played for about the 15 seconds as people made their way down. 
With the formalities over and four hours of photography down, we entered the reception. It was small, perhaps 30 people max and quite intimate. I'd been drinking quite a lot to give myself some liquid courage to deliver my speech in both Russian and English. It was a success and I felt on top of the world until someone made a comment about my weight. See, I was not overweight or obese, but perhaps a size 10 or 12. My friend on the other hand had lost so much weight she was now a size 6 and jokingly mocked that I should go on her chickpea-only diet. I was self-conscious all day, wondering if I looked terribly obese next to her, and when I mentioned that I felt a little self-conscious, she shrugged it off. Of course, when you spend all day drinking, at some point the depression hits, and so I spent a while crying and telling whoever would listen that I was so fat and ugly. Her family came to comfort me and told me I was nothing of the sort, but this did little to quell my insecurities. What it did do was make the bride extremely angry because all the attention wasn't on her, and that wasn't fair. So I tried to stay quiet, and just drank more and more to calm myself. Then our other friend who had been traveling with us confided that she found the guy that she was talking to very attractive and that she was worried if it went somewhere, she wouldn't be able to properly translate the word for condom. Fear not, dear friend. Beck is here to save the day. At least so I thought as I made my way to the groom to ask for a condom because I was sure he would have one as my fiance didn't. At one point or another, the bride caught wind of this and that's when chaos erupted. She yelled at me in the middle of her reception, told me I had ruined her wedding day and that our friend should just keep her legs shut. She berated me about my own wedding, told me it would be nowhere as perfect as hers had been and that I just wanted to ruin it because I was jealous. So I left. I took a champagne glass from the table and walked outside in the freezing temperatures to find a dark, quiet alcove to sit and cry. I remember just feeling so low and feeling that nothing else mattered at that point. I sent her a message telling her I was sorry I ruined her big day and that this was just what I do. I ruin things. I always have and always will. So there was only one solution to this problem. At that point, I considered going to the bridge and plunging myself into the river except I thought about my body retrieval and how that probably wouldn't be possible for a few days with the river iced over and that would make it worse for my family and fiance. So I decided that I just needed to cut deeper than I ever had and finally end it once and for all. My friend had been right. My wedding would never be as good because my mother wouldn't be there. Half my family wouldn't be there. And like she said, I didn't deserve someone like my fiance. I was the worst friend, sister, daughter and lover the world had ever known and ruining this wedding was my proof. After a while, the bride's brother found me and quickly bandaged my arm. He helped me inside to my fiancé and friend while I felt completely zoned out. I had failed. I remember feeling so guilty that I had failed and I remember messaging the bride telling her I would succeed and make everything right by finally leaving this world behind. Her response was along the lines of, you can't even cut your wrists right. The next day the messages were all there. She had sent at least a dozen telling me I ruined everything, that her husband now wanted to divorce her because of my actions, that her family absolutely hate me and don't know how I fooled her into being my friend, that she was going to ruin my wedding. And of course she messaged all of my bridesmaids and told them that I was a horrible person and she was no longer in my wedding because of what I had done. The messages didn't stop there. For the next 24 hours the tirade of abuse was consistent. Our other friend had decided to fly to St. Petersburg early, while we had a 14-hour train trip. Thankfully, the train had no Wi-Fi and reception was poor, so I wasn't able to continue getting abused, but my fiancé was. He was told to leave me, that I was a horrible human and I would ruin his life just like everyone else's. Her evidence was my mother. If my own mother could leave me, could want to kill me, could hate me so much, then that should be proof of my value and worth. 
and he just needed to open his eyes up to see it. My fiancé and I both ended up blocking her number, her Facebook, her WhatsApp, her social media, and absolutely everything and any way she could contact us. Because when someone is telling you that you should have killed yourself, that you're pathetic to have even failed that, you really begin to realise that it's unhelpful dialogue for any chance of moving forward. Of course, when she got no response from us, she got a hold of our other friend and let the hatred rain down on her. She told her she was a whore, that I was certain she was trying to sleep with my fiancé, that I had said she was a manipulative and malevolent woman just trying to get dick wherever she could. Keep in mind, this woman had 14 hours of which I couldn't talk to our friend to smooth over matters and explain the actual conversation we had days earlier. Nope. Instead, she had to dwell in an apartment by herself in St. Petersburg, being abused non-stop, and so ended up feeling so depressed that she too wondered if it was worth living. This was hard to unravel. Hard to convince our other friend that, yes, while I had said some things in anger and jealousy, it was nowhere near as nasty or derogatory as this woman had made them out to be. Our friend then told us that she had ruined the wedding and their marriage and that she had messages to prove it. It was heartbreaking to see this woman who has never been malicious or hurtful to anyone in her life, or at least in the time that I've known her, believe that she is a piece of shit because someone else said so. I tried to reassure her that this woman was just on a mission to make everyone else feel terrible because it would justify her behaviour. She was lashing out because of something else in her life and we were just easy targets. I wish I believed this for myself, but I couldn't. I truly felt more than ever that I needed to die after what I had done, but I knew I had to keep up a strong facade in front of my fiancé and friend because otherwise it was obvious I was still being impacted by the words of a psychopath. When we got back to Australia, I dove headfirst into my depression. I couldn't work. I had so many sick days because I was abusing sleeping pills and alcohol. I would wake up, reread all of those messages from Russia, contemplate how to kill myself, then take sleeping pills to try to shut out the thoughts. Then I'd wake up, realise the thoughts were still there, so I'd try to drink to drown them out. This constant abuse of alcohol and sleeping pills went on for about two weeks before I realised I was so entirely broken and no longer able to keep living. I woke up one morning and cried and cried and cried. I knew I was going to die. I knew that's what I wanted so badly, and that I was slowly ensuring that it would happen before I turned 30. I tried to overdose on sleeping pills, I tried to drink myself to death, but I knew they wouldn't be enough. When I had worked out the plan on how to succeed, I realised I had one last chance of pulling myself out and trying to turn my life around. So that morning as my fiancé embraced me, I whispered, I need help. I really, really need help. He didn't understand, mainly because he wasn't living in my mind. He wasn't fully aware of how much damage I was doing to myself and he didn't realise this was my last opportunity to get help, that this was my final cry. Thankfully, I found a mental health hospital just down the road from us and booked myself in. It was scary at first. I had really bad PTSD from the electroconvulsive therapy I had when I was 22 and this hospital administered it regularly. I didn't want that. I hated it and was still recovering memories from years past. At first I thought this would be a few days, but it turned into six weeks of being an impatient. Some days were better than others. I'd get up, try and socialise with other patients, but most days I left the blinds down and tried to sleep through however long I had left. I avoided group therapy because everyone was much older than me. I avoided yoga and meditation because I didn't want to give in to my thoughts and I was worried the silence would overwhelm me. I avoided visits from people because I hated anyone to see me in this state. I was so mentally unwell, it was not an image I wanted people to have of me. That being said, slowly but surely I started to get better. Each day was a struggle and trying to shut out those words from Russia was so fucking hard, but I knew I had to try because my fiancé was the best person I knew. He was the kindest and 
most caring person and I couldn't fail him. I couldn't let him hurt because of how much I hate myself. I need to start trying to be a better person and I couldn't do that while drinking. It was the day after my 28th birthday. I made a conscious decision to stop drinking. My fiance had visited me and he ended up in tears because he didn't know what to do anymore. He loved me. I hurt him a lot through my drunk actions and depression. I knew then and there that if I didn't change, I would lose everyone I ever loved and would most likely lose myself. Which one came first didn't matter. I decided my fiance, my family and my friends deserved better behavior from me and I needed to be sober to really start changing. Just recently, I watched one of those red table talks about narcissism. It really opened my eyes to the people that have left my life and made me realize while I was pumping 90% of my effort into these toxic relationships, I was only dedicating about 10% of my time to those healthy relationships that I should have. Only now have I realized that this woman, this Russian friend of mine, was a narcissist and I fell for it. I was in her web. I never questioned why she was always 45 minutes late for any catch-up we ever planned. I never questioned why she failed to ever come to any event I planned unless it was all paid for. And I never wondered why, when I confided in her my return to cutting, she brushed it off and made her problems seem far more important and life-threatening than mine ever did. She wasn't the only person in my life like this. In fact, one of my other best friends who was meant to be a bridesmaid pulled out two weeks before my wedding without any explanation or apology. She just straight up couldn't be there for me because it was the very first time in the history of our friendship that she was required to put effort in and she just couldn't. While losing two women I considered my best friends within one year hurt so much, I realized one of the biggest reasons I allowed them to stay in my life was because I was still so consumed in my own self-loathing that I didn't see their narcissism and manipulation for what it was. I allowed myself to be let down time and time again, to exert myself for their every whim and to feel so anxious that at any point they would leave me. Drinking soothed some of my anxiety sometimes, but it also allowed me to hate myself enough to let these people remain in my life. I was not actively looking at how they treated me because I thought I was such a bad person that I was so lucky to have any friends, let alone women who live these fabulous lives of luxury and success. So I suppose the point of this episode, or the moral of the story, if you will, is that low self-worth and self-esteem will mean you allow people to treat you the way you think you deserve to be treated. It will allow people in your life that don't deserve a place and will mean you'll spend more time catering to their needs rather than your own. While what happened in Russia still brings me tears to this day, I tried to take as much positive as I could out of it. It was the wake-up call I needed and has allowed me to continue staying sober. The memory of the pain and hurt I caused is enough to make me steer clear of any alcohol for fear of repeating. With that said, here we are at the end of season one of Becky's Not Drinking Tonight. I'm going to take a little break from disclosing my uglies for the world to hear and instead focus on doing a few interviews with some inspiring sober people. For now, I hope you enjoy the bonus segments post-drinking and taking a shot. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram at not drinking tonight pod and make sure you share this podcast around far and wide so we can bring others on our journey to sobriety if you're having issues with depression or suicidal thoughts please make sure that you reach out to someone or if you're in australia give lifeline a call on 13 11 14 in the meantime please look after yourself and take care